Well, we are going to continue today in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, you can today. We're going to talk a little bit about what, the, what we talked about with the kids this morning. But as you're turning there, I kind of want to set the stage for a few minutes of where we're headed with this particular chapter, okay? Well, a lot of you know, a couple weeks ago, Tommy and I went on a special vacation. We went to Mexico. We saved our pennies for a very long time, and we went on this special adventure together. And we like to do history stuff when we go on vacation. Um, and we went, so we went to some of these, like, Mexican ruins. So we go to the ruins, and we're standing there, and you have to, like, take this little uh, tram to get to some of the ruins. And so we're standing there waiting for the tram to come back. But, of course, as you are waiting, uh, you're like fish in a barrel for the people that want to sell you stuff, Right? And so there's a guy with, like, ponchos and a guy with a luchadore masks. And there's the guy with the chest set made of rocks, you know. And I'm like, eh, I don't need a poncho. I don't really. You know, I didn't have a problem ignoring them. Just avoid eye contact and you're good, right? Just don't look them in the eyes. They'll get you. Well, this other guy came up to me and he just was, like, making conversation. And it seemed evident to me that he really wanted to practice his English. And I have a soft spot for people that want to practice their English because I've been there. When I was in Italy, I was constantly trying to talk to people to, you know, hone my language skills. And so I was like, oh, yay, I can help this guy with his English. And so we're chatting or having a great conversation and asking me where I'm from. And I'm like, I'm from Idaho. He's like, oh, where's that? I'm like, it's up here. kind of looks like a finger. I don't know. It's up north. Just stay out. We like it how it is, right? <laughs> anyway, uh, so we had this talk. And he was telling me about all his favorite spots in Mexico, all the great sights to see and and it was great, and it was friendly, but as we were talking, I noticed we had kind of drifted a bit towards this table. And he goes, hey, you know, I was telling you about where those turtles are. Let me show you on the map. You just go to this little spot. And I was like, oh, yeah, I've been there. That's cool. He's like, oh, and by the way, right next to it is this great hotel. And if you would go there and listen to this spiel, you would have a meal and three nights free. And I was like, what? Shock face, Okay. Utter shock face. Here I was being this good, kind human, practicing English with this gentleman. And all the while, he was just trying to sell me stuff, right? (laughs) And Tommy just laughs because I am such a sucker. I am a sucker in every way. I'm like, oh, he just wants to learn his English. And Tommy's like, please, right? (laughs) He is the shrewd one in our relationship, and I am the sucker. He is the one who is always on the lookout for the trickster, the hustler, the power player. And, you know, it was a small thing with this guy. Like, he was just doing his job. I get it. That's fine. But I felt kind of stupid. I felt duped. I felt silly. I felt like I had been tricked, you know. And sometimes the whole world feels that way to a certain extent, like a fast one ready to be pulled, a power play about to flip the tables, a joke at your expense. And that's not quite as funny. You know, sometimes we laugh about it. Like when, when one of those things, those, those little trends are going around Facebook, like guys, Facebook is going to start charging, repost your outrage now. (laughs) And you repost it. And then you find out it's a hoax and you feel like an idiot, right? I know because some of y'all have done it. I know. But that's kind of funny. And you say, oh, I'm so silly. And you move on. But there are other things that are not quite so funny. When people are dishonest for personal gain, when people in power use that power to control and manipulate, when deceptive tactics are used to control and diminish. Now, many, if not most of you, are probably have seen that recent online movement um, just called Me Too, hashtag Me Too. Have you seen it? 
this gazillionaire in Hollywood, some powerful guy, came to light that he had been abusing dozens and dozens of women. And so it's kind of um, this movement emerged to shine a light on this particular kind of abuse. And so men and women all started posting on Facebook and on Twitter everywhere, hashtag me too, hashtag me too, saying, it has happened to me too. This is a thing. It's happening. And for a couple days, it felt like that was all I saw on my social media accounts, right? Hashtag me too, me too, me too. And it was overwhelming. And I felt sick because those two words said so much. Two words declared that if you didn't already know, something's wrong. Something's really, really wrong. Abuse happens when a person in power takes advantage with a person with less power for their own purposes, without regard for the dignity or the humanity of the person they're victimizing. It's like the bullying of the apple, but to the 10th degree, right? And power does strange things to people, doesn't it? You know, I look right now at the toxicity of the political climate, and I ask myself almost daily, what is happening to us? What is happening? Hosts of politicians all across the gamut seem drunk with power, acting to preserve their own position of influence and privilege, caring little for the betterment of their constituency. And instead of offering solutions to actual problems, they instead throw out these buzzwords to like fire up the base, right? To get us all riding these high waves of emotion and outrage. And <laughs> while we're not looking, they are riding that wave of outrage all the way into office where they can just hang out and not act for the betterment of our communities. And we get duped every time. And so we're left asking, who can we trust? Not the guy at the Mexican ruins, I'll tell you that. Right? Not some reposted or the world will end craze. And usually we can't trust people in power either. And so we find ourselves wary and constantly asking, oh, what's their agenda, right? We're cynical, and we're fearful, and we're anxious, and always in the defense, right? Always in that defensive posture. But, you know, that's not the only danger. Because there is a more insidious consequence lurking, and it is this. Immersion often results in imitation. You've seen it in your kids. Immersed in a negative environment with negative peer influence, and all of a sudden... They start to act that way too. You've seen it. Immersion results oftentimes in imitation. And so when we are immersed in power-hungry, manipulation-driven, self-serving world, so often we, without even realizing it, begin to act in those same ways, in power-hungry, manipulative, self-serving ways. Well, how about I don't speak for you? I will speak for myself. I find these dark patterns in my own life. As a pastor, as a parent, as a spouse, when the fear and the insecurity and the self-preservation and the self-promotion, it lurks in my heart and it pushes me towards these abusive behaviors, I can become a real bully. Now, in our text today, Paul is going to highlight some of these exact same patterns because nothing is new under the sun, folks. It's always been quite this broken. So consider... His letter, remember, he continues in his letter to the Thessalonians. We're going to be in chapter 2. It's this small group of people, a diverse bunch of Jesus followers who are battered and persecuted in this culture, uh, this negative society they are in in Thessalonica. And believe it or not, their climate that they experience is much similar to ours. 
they have these philosophers that kind of function how we have politicians and pundits and such. These, these philosophers would get up there and give these great powerful speeches and loud and boisterous and elicit those emotional response. I'm sure they had their very own buzzwords just like we do, right? Fire up the base. But the thing is, is they became abusive and manipulative, trying to control and direct people's behaviors. And when they couldn't make a logical, convincing argument, they would just go about berating and insulting the crowds for their stupidity. You don't understand what I'm saying? Well, the problem's you, right? That elitist kind of perspective. And then they wanted to be paid for their services because I love paying to be insulted. It's my favorite thing, right? <laughs> All the while remaining detached and aloof, first class only for those guys who don't want to mingle with the riffraff. And so here comes Paul preaching, and you can imagine the hesitation and the doubt, the wariness, like, what's this guy's agenda? What's he in it for? Money, glory, fame, attention? And so into this much like ours toxic mess, Paul speaks. Verse 1, it says this. You yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of great opposition. For our appeal does not spring from deceit or impure motives or trickery, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the message of the gospel, even so we speak, not to please mortals, but to please God who tests our hearts. As you know, and as God is our witness, we never came with words of flattery or with a pretext for greed, nor did we seek praise from mortals, whether from you or from from others, though we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle with you, like a nurse, tenderly caring for her own children. So deeply do we care for you that we were determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our very selves because you have become very dear to us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's quite the contrast, isn't it? Paul declares the gospel, not based on his own ambition and authority and prestige, but rather through courage in God. He declares the gospel, not with deceit and impure motives and trickery, not trying to pull a fast one, not trying to get you to sign on the dotted line, no lies and manipulation. Paul declares the gospel not full of flattery and false praise, not throwing out empty promises and buzzwords to incite passion. Paul declares the gospel not for greed, for what he can gain. No. Paul rejects the MO of that Roman society, particularly of the philosophers. He says, you know what? No. I am not going to play by your rules. Instead, I will declare the gospel not only with my message, but also with my method. Did you hear that? I will declare the gospel, not just with my message, with my words, but with my method, the way I treat you, the way I interact with you. Because Paul knew, even if he didn't say it quite like this, that what you save people with is what you save people to. So if you bring the message of the gospel to the people with manipulation and coercion and trickery, that's the kind of gospel that they're going to live into. And that's not faithful. And so Paul, he represents and embodies the absolute opposite of what he was experiencing in culture. In verse 6 and 7, he says, we could have made demands as the gospels of Christ. You know, the language there in the Greek is the weightiness, the heaviness. The message says it, he says it better. He says, even though we had come, we came with some standing as Christ's apostles, we never threw our weight around or tried to come across as important with you or anyone else. 
<laughs> we all know a guy, don't we? Or a gal. Someone who directs and controls and leads and makes things happen, but not by their influence or their trustworthy leadership, but by throwing their weight around. They may get stuff done, but everybody around them ends up on their backs, right? Now, Paul says, we're not playing by those rules, even if it would be within our rights to do so. I'm not going to throw my weight around. No. Instead, how did he act? He says, we were gentle, or your version might say, depending on what you got, like infants among you, like a nurse tenderly caring for her children. Now, like I said, your version might be different there. Some versions there say, I was gentle with you. Other versions say, I was like an infant with you, which that's weird, right? But the reason why it's like that, it's tricky, is because the words in Greek are only a letter different, and we have a bunch of different versions of it. So some poor scribe, he was tired, made a typo. What can you do? But the oldest manuscripts we have say infants, which is honestly unfortunate because it makes it weird. Because Paul says, I was like an infant among you. And we're like, why? Why would you choose that? Babies can't do much. They are powerless. They are small. They are totally dependent. But can you think of a better contrast to a person who throws their weight around? Babies can't do that. They're vulnerable. They are fragile. They can scream, but that's about the only tool they have in their toolbox. They are not power players by any means. And so what's Paul talking about? He is, again, contrasting the ML, the way of doing things in the Roman society, this power plays and manipulation and coercion with Jesus' way. The Jesus way, the one who made himself nothing, the one who actually made himself an infant, as we will celebrate here in Advent. Paul is calling the church's attention to the fact that what is deemed acceptable in culture, how we treat the vulnerable and the sick and the hurting, stands in direct conflict with the kingdom of God. Paul says, I could have thrown my weight around you guys, I could have bullied you and I could have pushed you around to make you do what I thought was best. I could have used my power position to make things happen, but I didn't. I chose the cruciform way, that Christ cross-shaped way of Jesus who made himself vulnerable for the sake of others, especially for the powerless. But if you think Paul liking himself to an infant is weird, just wait till we get to verse 7. Because Paul then goes on to compare himself. Again, there's some variation in your versions. A nurse or a mother or a nursing mother. The language can go in lots of different directions. And so, why do you got to go and make it awkward, Paul? It's awkward. But Paul isn't using language that God has not used to describe God's self. You see, back in Isaiah, when the people of Israel were devastated, they were were coming out of exile, they were completely feeling abandoned and forgotten by God, and God speaks to them as they're saying, God, why have you abandoned me? And God says to them, really, guys? Can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the child of her womb? In contrast to those idols, those heartless idols of stone that you're giving your life to, God declares, listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from your birth, who have been carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he. Even when you turn gray, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and I will save It is powerful, maternal language. 
God as bearing and birthing and nursing and carrying. It is such a contrast to those power games, the abuses, the manipulations, the greed, the what's in it for me way of doing things. Now this week, Jack had his first tummy bug and we are all traumatized, let me tell you. It was bad. But the saddest part when he got sick was that he's so little that he didn't understand what was happening to his little body. Like he'd get sick and then he'd cry because he didn't know what was happening. <laughs> and you know what the only thing that little boy wanted the whole time? Mama, right? And that is saying something for two reasons. First of all, Jack loves his daddy. So much Jack loves his daddy because, frankly, Mama's the enforcer around the Lobdell household. <laughs> Let it be known. I know you're shocked. <laughs> But, and in case you didn't know, reason number two, it was so odd that Jack was snuggling with me because Jack is a busy dude. Have you met him? We make him wear shoes with squeakers on them so we know where he is at all times, okay? But when he was sick, it was as if there was a magnet right here on my chest and his head just went bam and he couldn't move it. And so there I slept, holding him, rocking him for three plus hours as he got sick over and over again as we struggled through. You know, I got a crick in my neck. I really have to go to the bathroom. And my legs are getting itchy and antsy and oh my goodness, but you stay. Because that's what mamas do, right? And Paul says, I didn't bully you. I didn't push you. I didn't abuse you, beloved. You know what I did? I mamaed you. I mamaed you so hard. I was patient, and I was gentle, and I was guiding you in the way you should go, but in such a way that you always knew you were loved, even as I taught and corrected you. And so as God has loved us like a mother with her child, so too Paul loves his church. You know, Paul concludes his declaration by affirming that, you know, so deeply did I care for you that I was determined to share not only with you the words of the gospel, but with to share our very selves because you've become so dear to us. So not only the gospel, but our very selves, our very lives, Paul is giving his life away. Oh, we cannot escape that language, can we? It is just pursuing us as a church. Paul didn't stand aloof and apart from the church. You know, I got to stay in first class away from the riffraff. But no, he entered into the nitty gritty, giving not only giving to them, but allowing himself to receive, because that's what sharing life is about, that give and that take, that interaction. Paul, the vulnerable infant. Paul, the nursing mother. Paul, the one giving his life away and sharing it with the church. You know, most frequently, people use this text as a directive for pastors, and as it should be. Like, there is no doubt that this is a call to shepherds like Tommy and me and Amy and Debbie and Austin, to love our people first. Not to play power games with you. Not to control and manipulate you to achieve some agenda that we have. But to approach you with vulnerability. To nurture you and to care for you like a nursing mother with her baby. To share our very lives for you. And from the day I crossed the state line into Idaho, my first prayer was God help me to learn to love them, to love them as you have loved me. And he is shaping us in that way. But the thing is, this is not just a call to shepherds. It is actually a good word for all of the Christian community, a challenge to each one of us, and this is why. I don't know if you know, but there is something happening on Tuesday, a little thing called Halloween. You been there? 
figure that out. There'd be kids running around town in all manner of costume. But there's something else happening that day, the 31st of October. It's the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door and thus the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church, we went in slightly different directions, right? And there is much to be said about what happened in that change. But one of the things that I think we need to call to attention today is this idea of the priesthood of all believers. The idea that all baptized believers are called to participate in God's mission of redemption, not just an elite few. Now, the word word priest is kind of uncomfortable for some of us, right? It's a foreign word to us Protestants, but it bears with it the connotation of mediation. When I was in high school, I was a peer mediator. Anybody do that? Where you have two parties that are like feuding and they can't figure it out together. And so you bring in a mediator that helps bring the two together. This idea of mediation, of connecting two disconnected, disjointed parties. And so when you consider this idea of the priesthood of all believers, all of us together, what we need to consider is this. What if each of us in our unique spaces and places of life, our work and our home and our school and all that stuff, what if we were called to mediate the presence of God to the world, to help connect Jesus with a world that has gone astray, and we be that mediating presence to help draw the two together? to help connect our world to the source that is Jesus. You see, we are a called people, a set-apart people, not called for privilege, but for service. We are an eschatological people, which is the big fancy word that says we are people that lives for Jesus now, but with an eye to the future. An eye to the future of Jesus come back as king, healing and restoring, reckoning and reconciling. We are a people who is shaped by that hope, but we are also shaped by the way of that Jesus. The one who was vulnerable among us. The one who nurtured and cared for us like a hen gathering her chicks. The one who gave his life away for us. And so, yes, this is a word for you too, beloved. You are called to be priests in this world, mediating the presence of God to a hurting, broken world. You too are called to embody that infant-like way of vulnerability, rejecting power games, rejecting manipulation and loud demands and empty rhetoric. That is not our way. We too are called to live as nursing mothers. And yeah, I get it. That feels weird. But don't miss the message for the metaphor. Because you see, we are called to nurture, to care for, to gently encourage and challenge and love and embrace those in need of the gospel. Not throw the weighty truth of the gospel in their face. Because that's not convincing anybody of the goodness of God. You two are called to share your very selves with the world as Christ shared with us, as Paul shared with the church, as we, your pastors, are seeking to share our lives with you as best we are able. So too you are called to share your life, to not stand aloof from the world, sharing the words of life from a distance. No one cares what you have to say if you don't have time to be in their lives, that ordinary, unimpressive, regular stuff of life. We share our lives with each other. Well, a few days ago, JoJo told me, brought to my attention, that we needed to rake. And unfortunately, she was right. And this is the one moment where she was assisting me. The rest of the time, she was jumping in the piles, right? 
So as we are raking our 15 trees worth of leaves, my neighbor comes over, and he's a really nice guy, and we don't see him super often, and he comes over just chatting with us, and it was fun. But he says, out of the blue, he says to me, he says, so do you guys, you guys are pastors, um, do you guys get vacation? Because you guys are always so busy. You're always just running around. And I said, I assured him, yes, we get vacation. We just got back from one, in fact. But yeah, the rest of the time, we're pretty busy. And the conversation continued. But you know what? My mind was stuck back there at what he had said. You guys are just so busy. You're always running around. Never see you. And part of that's our season of life. You know, we have two little ones. There's preschool. There's gymnastics. There's, there's classes to teach. There's sermons to write. There's meetings to lead. There's events to host. But I was convicted. Am I so busy with the trappings of my life and my work that I have ceased to be a priest to my neighbor, to my neighborhood, that I have ceased to mediate the presence of God to a people that are just a few yards away? You know, what would it look like for me to embrace this word from Paul, to be gentle and humble and vulnerable like an infant, to nurture as a nursing mother would, to share my very life with a guy like him. The Lord is stirring something in me, and I'm not sure what that's going to look like, but I pray that he's stirring it in you as well. Well, today we have the privilege of receiving the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, communion, You know, the Lord's Supper is the ultimate representation, that physical reminder of Jesus, sharing his very self with us, his very self given that we might have life. And so what better way to end today than to receive Jesus' self given for us as we seek to give ourselves for the world. Pastor Tommy, would you come? Father God, we thank you for the word of your gospel today. Lord, we thank you first and foremost that you have loved us so well. Like a mother clinging her sick child to her chest. Lord, you have loved us and nurtured us and called us forth into life. And you have shared your very life with us through the person of Jesus. And so, Lord, we want to respond to your gracious gift to us with our obedience. May we live into this call to be vulnerable and open to the world, not fighting and seeking power and manipulation. But Lord, let us walk the Jesus way of self-sacrifice, giving our life away so that others might know you. May we mediate your presence to the world as you have called us to do so. Lord, we trust you and we love you and you are worth our lives. Hear this, our prayer. In the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit, we pray. Amen. Beloved, would you stand to receive the benediction? Would you extend your hands? Beloved, may you go from this place receiving the blessed love of God who has loved you like a mother. And may you go and give your life away, loving in kindness and humility to the world in need. Go in action and go in peace. Amen. You are dismissed.